You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An update on Fancy Bear and its Drovarube rootkit, Karma Panda, also known as Cactus Pete, is scouting Eastern European financial and military targets with the latest version of a venerable backdoor. How criminals and terrorists exploit COVID-19 and how law enforcement tracks them down. Caleb Barlow from Synergistic covers security assessments and HIPAA data. Our guest is Ryan Olson from Palo Alto Networks on the 10th anniversary of Stuxnet. And those celebrity-endorsed investment scams aren't actually endorsed by celebrities, and they're not actually good investments. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, August 14th, 2020. We spoke yesterday about the joint alert NSA and the FBI issued concerning a new malware toolset operated by Russia's military intelligence service, GRU. To recap briefly, the advisory described Drovarube in English, that's woodcutter, which is malware deployed by APT-28. And APT-28 is, of course, Fancy Bear. Drovarube is a multifunctional Linux malware toolset consisting of an implant coupled with a kernel module rootkit, a file transfer and port forwarding tool, and a command and control server. So far, it seems that Fancy Bear is Drovarube's only user. Both NSA and the Bureau offer advice on how to detect the malware and protect against it. The warning is being taken seriously. As the register puts it, four words you don't want to see together are Fancy Bear Linux Rootkit. Researchers at security firm Kaspersky have published an update on the activities of Cactus Pete also known as Karma Panda, which we prefer because we like animal names, a Chinese APT that's using a new form of the Bisonal backdoor against defense and banking targets in Eastern Europe. Bisonal isn't new. As ZDNet reports, it's been under active development for a decade. But it continues to evolve, and it's the latest evolution that's drawn the attention of researchers. Its ability to handle Cyrillic script suggests that its activities extend east, through Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. The effort Kaspersky describes is a cyber espionage campaign, but it might also represent reconnaissance and battle space preparation for more damaging attacks. Karma Panda has earlier been active against Japan, South Korea, and the United States. Researchers at Cisco Talos say the group is run by the Chinese government. 
Fortinet's semi-annual global threat report notes that while it should at this point be obvious to everyone that the dramatic increase in remote work brought about by COVID-19 has created opportunities for cybercrime and espionage, nonetheless, they can't talk about threats in 2020 without discussing how the pandemic has shaped them. As they say, quote, Predictably, cyber criminals of all shades, from opportunistic fishers to scheming nation-state actors, found some way to exploit the pandemic for their benefit. Organizations around the world were suddenly confronted with a situation where they had to support a majority of employees working from home. For attackers, the shift presented an unprecedented opportunity to break into enterprise networks by targeting weekly protected home networks, consumer devices, VPN connections, and video communication and collaboration tools. End quote. And it's not just the expanded attack surface, it's also the anxiety over the virus that's rendered people susceptible to social engineering tailored to that anxiety. Two such cases are worth a look. In the first case, a cooperative enforcement action conducted with Vietnam's Ministry of Public Security, the U.S. Justice Department has moved against online COVID-19 scammers based in Vietnam. The Justice Department obtained a temporary restraining order against three residents of Vietnam, whom prosecutors allege to have engaged in a wire fraud scheme seeking to profit from the COVID-19 pandemic. Prosecutors say the three ran more than 300 websites that fraudulently offered products for sale when pandemic-driven demand rendered them scarce to the point of practically unavailable. You know those sorts of things, hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, products like that. Thousands ordered the goods but never received them. A U.S. district judge has ordered an emergency temporary restraining order whose effect has been to disable the websites. Further action against the alleged fraudsters can be expected. That's a traditionally criminal motive for COVID-19 fraud. The other COVID-19 fraud is still criminal, but less traditional. U.S. authorities have also taken action against online COVID-19-themed fraud committed to benefit of Islamist terror groups, seizing millions in Bitcoin. The groups that benefited from the fraud include ISIS, the Al-Qassam Brigades, and Al-Qaeda. The Department of Justice says it's issued three forfeiture complaints and one criminal complaint. ISIS was the group that allegedly ran the COVID-19-themed scam, selling cheap knockoffs of personal protective gear through facemaskcenter.com, Unlike the straight-up crooks in Vietnam, ISIS apparently delivered at least some of the goods, but as the Justice Department notes, they weren't the FDA-approved N95 respirator masks the dealers said they were. Both the Al-Qassam brigades and Al-Qaeda were simply making direct appeals for Bitcoin donations. They assured their donors that altcoin donations were untraceable and therefore safe, and there's a good chance they themselves believe this. Al-Qaeda included a Telegram-based Bitcoin laundering service in their offering. Cryptocurrency isn't, of course, necessarily untraceable, but it's acquired a kind of totemistic status in the charities established to support terrorists. The Justice Department used tools from the blockchain company Chainalysis to trace the funds. As Chainalysis says with understandable pride, their tool enabled the feds to uncover who sends funds, who helps launder funds, the goods and services they buy with the funds, and more. And finally, InfoSecurity magazine reports that Britain's National Cybersecurity Center, a GCHQ unit, 
has seen so many bogus endorsements for investment scams fraudulently imputed to celebrities that it felt it's necessary to warn people that, no, neither Ed Sheeran nor Sir Richard Branson are actually offering you a foolproof way of doubling or tripling your money, or more. NCSC has taken down more than 300,000 URLs used to run the scams. Of course, someone's making money. The funds the marks click through in order to place their investments? Scammers have made out quite well from them. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Time flies, as they say, and it's hard to believe it's been just about 10 years since the world learned about Stuxnet, the malicious computer worm believed to be responsible for causing substantial damage to Iran's nuclear program. Ryan Olson is vice president of Palto Alto Network's Unit 42, and he joins us with thoughts on Stuxnet, as well as the 2020 Unit 42 IoT threat report. So late last year, Palo Alto Networks acquired a company called Zingbox, uh, and Zingbox was an IoT-focused company that collected a lot of data in the past around the types of IoT devices that they had seen inside of networks, as well as the vulnerabilities that those devices had. And based off that data, uh, we collected it together and did some analysis, and that's really what led to the report. So it was the sudden influx of a whole bunch of data specifically re related to IoT, as well as a lot more expertise in the world of IoT. And we saw an opportunity to start talking more about the fact that there are a lot of threats related to all of these tiny computers spread out around the world. Yeah. Well, let's go through some of the key findings together. What sort of things uh, came to the surface here? So there were a few things that were especially interesting to us. And one thing to, to keep in mind is a lot of the data that Zingbox had acquired that we were working with was related to medical IoT. So lots of devices in hospitals, 
um, and other sort of medical environments, although it was more broad than that. Um, enterprise mm -hmm. IoT was also encompassed in the report. There were a couple really interesting findings. And the one that was most interesting to me was the number of medical IoT devices that were running outdated software, software that was no longer supported, um, and specifically operating systems. So what we saw was Windows 7 went out of support uh, earlier this year. That meant 83% of the devices, medical IoT devices that we were looking for, and specifically imaging devices, things like um, x-rays and other systems that do medical imaging, were running one of these out-of-date, out-unsupported operating systems, which means Windows 7 and Windows XP, those are the big ones, 83% uh, is a pretty significant proportion of them. And that means they're not getting updates anymore. Um, but also, those devices are all pretty old. Like if you imagine a, a, a computer, a Windows computer that's still running Windows XP, it's got to be relatively old getting deployed out into the world. Um, and it comes with a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, and because of that, we tend to see lots of old malware just sort of bouncing around uh, inside of these networks. Um, Configure is one that we still see inside of hospitals spreading from device to device, even though the vulnerabilities from, that it exploited was from 2008. Right. Well, take us through some of the threats that you were tracking here. When the bad guys are coming after IoT devices, what sort of things are they doing? The main thing that we've been tracking is the exposures that are happening for these devices. Um, so how are they configured? What kind of vulnerabilities ex exist inside them? Sort of, We categorize these all as security issues. So in a lot of cases, the issues that we found were related to passwords, default passwords that are left on the devices. Um, as well as network exploitable vulnerabilities where someone could execute some sort of code on the device. Um, but most of the actual attacks that we saw that we identified were commodity malware that was spreading around infecting Windows systems, um, as well as um, devices that were simply being taken over and being used for things like cryptocurrency mining, crypto jacking, oftentimes uh, we might refer to it that way. Um, mm. So not super significant impact against the devices themselves, um, but that, I think, has more to do with the fact that the people who uh, launched those attacks, whenever they did so, they did so indiscriminately, where a worm is spreading around, uh, just sort of trying to hit every single device that might contain a vulnerability, or a worm uh, like um, the kinds of router worms that we've seen in the past, like Mirai, where they spread to as many Wi-Fi routers as possible, take advantage of them through either vulnerabilities in the routers or network-connected devices, or default passwords, credentials that are left on the devices and are unchanged. Um, mm. But I think that tide is going to shift um, as more attackers realize the resource that could be potentially available to them through these IoT devices as they continue to proliferate inside of networks. Well, my my pal Joe Kerrigan, who works at Johns Hopkins, he says you know says that over on the on the hospital side of things that. You know, when, when a, a doctor or a surgeon is faced with a choice between medical care and security, medical care wins every time. And yep. there's no discussion, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the reality of it. And so that's the, you know, I guess that's the framework within which the security folks need to, need to uh, operate. Yep. And that's what we should expect. Yeah. And that is, it is different when, if, you're, if you've been working in information security and your entire focus is just on the information and the systems themselves. Um, once those systems are more interacting with the real world, um, it changes everybody's concept of, of what happens. And this is one of the reasons that um, Stuxnet, which we're coming up sort of on the 10 year anniversary of that mm. huge attack, um, was so significant in changing the way that people thought about what 
was possible from an attack perspective. The fact that a someone or a group could write malware, which would spin up centrifuges and then spin them down and surreptitiously destroy them over time to degrade the Iranian nuclear capability. Like this was science fiction until 10 years ago, but it became very possible. And I'll say Stuxnet is one of those few um, pieces of malware that if you were to ask, um, and, and I might be a little skewed on this, but not a random person on the street, but a, certainly more people know about Stuxnet from a malware perspective than any other piece of malware I've ever mentioned. Um, because yeah. it was, and a lot of that was because it crossed that cyber physical barrier. It wasn't about destroying information. It wasn't about stealing your data. It wasn't about corrupting your data. It was about breaking things. Um, and I think that makes attacks a lot more real for people. And that's entirely the world of IoT. Um, it breaks things. But things break when IoT systems don't work anymore. That's Ryan Olson from Palo Alto Networks. There's an extended version of our interview available on CyberWire Pro. Check it out on our website, thecyberwire.com. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Caleb Barlow. He is the CEO at Synergistech. Uh, Caleb, it's great to have you back. Um, I, I wanted to touch today on security assessments, uh, particularly as they apply to things like planning and budgeting, some of the stuff that, that you deal with from time to time. What can you share with us? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing we have to think of, Dave, in all of this is how do we think about security assessments differently in this world of COVID, right? Hmm. And so, so my answer to your question would totally change from the last six months. And, you know, I always like to start thinking about this by realizing that the adversary is human and they too have been impacted by this. You know, they're trying to find a quiet place in the house to work away from the family. And remember, their budget has probably also been impacted. It's not like targeting travel sites is probably going to do you any good in the middle of this. Well, here we sit, you know, we're a couple months in now. And is it fair to say the transition is done? That we're, we're kind of, we're settled in for the longer haul now, that it's time to time to calibrate and, and set the, the standards for this new normal? I think that's exactly it. And I think we have to stop thinking about, oh, what happens when we all get back to the office? And I think we have to accept this is the new normal. And I'll do one of the things security guys should never do and use a medieval castle analogy, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's like we had the medieval castle, we spent extra money on the alligators in the moat and the archers on the wall, and COVID started and we just told everybody, run, get the hell out of the castle as fast as you can and social distance. Mm -hmm. So we're all now running around, the princess has got the jewels around her neck and she's running around the forest. So what this ultimately means, though, is that attack surface has totally changed. You know, the workstation your employee's using wasn't sanctioned by the company. It was set up in a hurry. It's a shared workstation that their kids play games on in the evening. 
The VPN was poorly configured and no one really knows how it terminates. The home router is full of vulnerabilities and is probably Bitcoin mining on the side and hasn't been updated since it was purchased. Hmm. So, you know, the point is there's a whole new slew of vulnerabilities that are going to make it much easier for the adversary. And, and here's the really hard thing for security professionals. Your security assessment now actually needs to look at the home network. Well, where do you begin? Because everyone, I assume everyone's home network is a little bit different. So rather than, you know, being able to standardize on one thing at the office, uh, it's it's a whole series of one-offs. Well, okay. So there's a couple of things actually you, you can do. Um, first of all, consider paying for the router. And better yet, like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of companies got out of paying for your home network connection and most, you know, ISPs, you can rent the home router. And, and I would actually think that, that maybe that's a good idea, right? You know, mm-hmm. go rent the router from Comcast because all you got to do to update it is go take it into the uh, office and they'll give you a new one, right, if you're renting it. Um, mandate that employee workstations you control. So if you're, you can, doesn't mean you can't do BYOD, but you have to have your security platform on top of that workstation that your employees are using and lots and lots and lots of education. You know, it is not appropriate to be at home using the same workstation that Junior plays Fortnite on to also go access medical records. That's just mm-hmm. a bad idea. Hmm. So you, you mentioned your medical data. What, what about HIPAA considerations? How does that come into play? Well, I'll tell you now, my companies had to deal with this as, as an example, right? We we generally speaking don't access patient records, but we do a lot of privacy monitoring. So when we're chasing down a case, you know, we potentially run across inadvertent use of medical records, which ultimately means our people are seeing medical records, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we used to mandate that this work was done 100% in the office. Well, guess what? Can't be done in the office anymore. Right. So we, we worked with clients and let them know what we were doing. We put in place, you know, new levels of VPN protection, end-to-end encryption. We ensure that that workstation that is being used on is uh, one that we control. And we actually took precautions to make sure we understood what was the environment you're working in at home. You know, are you in a place where you can actually close the door? And, uh, you know, even in some cases, you know, take a picture of it, send it to us and make sure we can check it out, right? Hmm. And, and, you know, it, it... it sounds like a bit of a patchwork, but just by asking those questions, you start to instill the right culture. So, yes, I mean, you know, you also have to understand, particularly with HIPAA, is regulators have largely put a lot of the restrictions around telemedicine aside, and that was the right thing to do. Mm. And now we need to figure out how to get it back under control. But guess what? The genie's out of the bottle and it's never going back in. This yeah. remote work thing is here to stay. Telemedicine is here to say, in fact, telemedicine probably accelerated by 10 years, which is great. Now we need to secure it. Yeah, people people are demanding it. They like it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, interesting insights as always. Caleb Barlow, thanks so much for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.